And this afternoon, I'd like to begin with the instructions on Metta, loving kindness. Uh, I'm only beginning, other teachers actually are going to develop on this. <laughs> so you're going to get a lot of instructions, but they're not different actually. <laughs> so just be patient and see how they keep on building on one after the other. So Metta, uh, which is translated as loving kindness, loving friendliness, uh, we are stuck with that word. <laughs> But I prefer for me to use the Pali word metta. It sounds good. And also it carries more meaning than those, the combination of the words. Because metta, uh, it, it really means friendliness. So it's a complex word uh, which is, uh, was translated many years ago by somebody. Anyway, uh, <laughs> probably wasn't even a Buddhist. <laughs> so we are stuck now with the word. <laughs> but Better to understand the Pali word metta is better, is more straight. So uh, we find other words in the Pali canon uh, for love, the word love that you are familiar with, I hope so. (laughs) The the Pali word is pema, P-E-M-A. So that's the love we have, uh, brother and sister, husband and wife, and all other different permutations. So this is very clear, and probably I don't need to teach you about that, <laughs> about how to love your mother, sister, and brother, and all these kind of uh, different kinds of love. But uh, Metta, the Buddha, what he meant is love for all beings without exception, because uh, what happens with other kinds of love is constricted to one person, to a group of people. But here, the entire world, all beings, all breathing beings. In other traditions, they talk about sentient beings. Basically, that would include everything that has life. So that's what I w- we would like to start with. And uh, we begin with ourselves. I'm going to talk about uh, 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 loving kindness to oneself. But then the question is it, it comes, is it not contradictory? The Buddha talk about non-self, and here we are, we are trying to practice metta to ourselves. It seems to be a contradiction, but actually there's no contradiction because uh, metta is a concentration practice and is part of right thought as a, a foundation for developing higher mind. So it helps you to gain concentration. So then you take an object, which is a being. So you see human beings, actually. In Vipassana meditation, then we say, okay, non-self, then is taking it to another level. So there's no actual contradiction. And somebody's going to talk about anatta, a full talk, then you understand what it means, non-self. So, um, so we're beginning with ourselves. And why ourselves? Is, it, is that not selfish? Actually, there's a difference between selfishness and self-interested. Yes, so we are not, uh, let's say when we are growing up, we are always told to love others. Nobody emphasizes on loving ourselves. Here we have to reverse that, actually. We have to start with ourselves. If somebody says, darling, I love you better than myself, then your reply is, no. It's not correct. (laughs) So really, uh, the Buddha mentioned that there's no one worth of love than oneself. He used uh, this uh, kind of saying to emphasize that really you have to love yourself first before you give love to others. He explored the world with all his mind, not, of course, traveling physically, but using his mind and didn't find anyone, any single person, Really. So um, it's very, very important to remember that. Now, people say, I hate myself. Uh, that's why I can't send loving kindness to myself. But actually, we can reverse that. It's not a permanent situation. Even when it, it happens that you really feel hatred about yourself, you can reverse that situation by reflecting on good things, not the bad things. So you leave aside all the negative things that you have ever done 
and you focus only on positive side. Let's say you can think about your generosity, uh, your uh, ethical conduct, coming to meditate, any good things that you have done, you remember that and then you can start uh, uh, radiating loving kindness, starting with yourself. If that's too hard, you can always send loving kindness to all beings first and then come to yourself. But it's better to do the, uh, in a way that it's natural. It's really natural to start with yourself. Because even in a mundane example, if you don't have money, how can you give to others? Yes, yes, I'll give you money, but you don't have anything. So you can only give actually what you have already. So we spend more time really uh, focusing on sending loving kindness to ourselves. So you just come up with the phrases that resonate with you, but the standard phrases that come down from the tradition is that, uh, uh, may I be safe. So you sit comfortably. I'm going to guide you through this. Sit comfortably, feel at ease. The same way you practice other kinds of meditation, mindfulness of breathing, you take a few slow, deep breaths to oxygenate the blood, chin parallel to the ground. Feel comfortable in the body. So you, you, you really uh, send loving kindness even to your breath as you breathe in. Happiness, breathing in happiness, breathing out happiness. So you learn even to have uh, to send loving kindness to your breath. Most people hate the breath, especially when they can't find it. And then meditation can't proceed very well. So you can start with the breath. It's not a human being, but it keeps us alive. Feel the softness around the heart, the tenderness, and then breathe as natural as possible. So, see if you can reflect on one single thing that you like about yourself in an in an enduring way, not only for today or tomorrow, like an ice cream for today. No, just something like peace, happiness, joy, to be safe. Then you can begin radiating loving kindness to yourself. May I be safe, or may I be peaceful. This safety I talked about this in the precepts and the refugees is to be safe from all tormenting mind states, anxiety and all difficult emotions. Then you can move on. May I be happy. Mentally happy. May I be healthy. May I live at ease. That means may my day-to-day relationships with co-workers, teachers, students, other people, may it be easy and peaceful. So you can choose a phrase that resonates with you and repeat that again and again. May I be safe. May I be happy. May I be healthy. May I live at ease. So you can space yourself. Don't repeat these phrases mechanically. Mean each and every phrase that you 
reflect on seeing yourself really happy, not faking it until you make it, but really making that aspiration that you really have this intention to be happy. Metta is part of right thought, so this is an intention to be happy. So we can cultivate it, even if it's not there, but slowly by slowly, we can develop that intention, motivation, to be really happy beings and seeing the possibility of being happy. And if you find it difficult, just focus on good things that you've done even before you came here. You've been kind, forgiving, supportive, generous with your smile. Any good thing that you've done, see if you can dwell on that. This is not the time to remember the good things that you've forgotten to do or the bad thing that you did. And then you can gently come back to the softness of the heart and soften it because it might be stiff. Soften it. And breathe in normally. And then you can repeat the phrase, may I be happy, may I be peaceful.
Having seen that all beings like oneself have a desire for happiness, one develops loving kindness for all beings. Thank you for your practice. So, you might notice that loving kindness meditation is a short session. I think it's a longer session according to the standards we have in uh, scriptures. Uh, the Buddha said that even if you are to practice loving kindness for a finger snap like that, it's more meritorious than feeding monks, 300 monks in the morning, in the evening, when the Buddha is the abbot. So, you can see just the benefits just of sending loving kindness just for the moment of a finger snap. We have also somewhere where they say pulling the udder of the cow. <laughs> that moment you spend pulling it like this, you may not know about this. <laughs> so about this milking. So it really takes a short time to pull the cow's udder like that. So yes, it's very beneficial. Consider the, the negative uh, biased mind. I don't know if you have read a book called uh, The Neuroscience of uh, Love, Wisdom, and something like that. It's uh, called Buddha's Brain. By uh, Have you read this book? Rick yeah? yeah, Rick Hanson. Yeah. He said that uh, th- we have uh, this kind of evolution, and uh, we used to live there in the world, in the wild, with the bears. <laughs> yes, we didn't have this actually many years ago. And uh, we developed some kind of survival um, uh, kit, uh, the behaviors, because we lived in a wild with animals. So every time we had to look out like this. If you sleep like this, you'll be eaten, because there are the lures to be eaten or to eat. <laughs> So, um, so we developed this kind of tense and nervousness and hatred. Yeah, every time we had to be aware of a lion or whatever. So now there's no lion, at least here. <laughs> yeah. So now still that is going on. That's kind of a default of our mind. Even when everything is peaceful, your food is here, given here, and you don't have to worry about schedule and deadline. But there's something to worry. There's a, a yogi clearing a throat, <laughs> a yogi walking very fast. So all these things arouses a lot of aversion. And metta can serve us uh, uh, to, to counterbalance that kind of aversion. It's a very powerful practice, actually. So even in a short time. So do you have any question? As you are thinking about this uh, question, uh, I want to remind you that Metta has what we call a near enemy, which is attachment. So when we have attachment towards our friends, then we think, ah, I have a lot of metta. But actually, that's a different kind of uh, love. It's called Pema, I told you. You have a lot of Pema. Of course, uh, we can find some traces of metta in this relationship. Yes, it doesn't mean that there's no metta in relationships. There is, but it's very small. That's why we need to expand it so that once our heart is as big as the world, I think that's Sharon's book. So then when we bring it to our relationships, family relationships and uh, uh, other spouse relationships, so then actually we can love without, atta- without attachment. And that's a riddle in life. If you ever love without attachment, you love solve the riddle of life. Really, that's very powerful because then you're not possessive in your relationships. Usually in our relationship, we love, we have a lot of pema, but also we have a lot of attachment, and that kind of suffocates our relationships. It's become unhealthy and all that. So then this practice actually is very powerful in other relationships. Though it starts out with sending loving kindness to snakes and leopards and all these all beings, but actually it's very powerful once the heart can, can include everything, then you can apply it in, in your relationships. Then it's, it, they become even more meaning and very powerful. Okay, any question? So when you do the uh, metta meditation, 
Yes, yes, but find out the phrases that resonate with you. I've just give you, given you an example, but find out if you can even speak in your language is better. The idea that you are connecting to the phrases, you're not a parrot. You're just not repeating word, okay, yes, yeah, it's time now, it's finished. No, each word actually is very powerful. Every word you utter has a, uh, an impact on your nervous system, on your chemical. So every word is very important. If it's a positive word, it has an effect. If it's a negative, also it has an effect. That's why somebody abuses somebody and then they change the color and everything. Every word is very meaningful. So you repeat the word that resonates with you. Oh, may I be peaceful. May I be happy. Then feel. Just leave a gap to feel, not mechanically. May I be well, happy, and peaceful like this. No, no, no. Just may I be, may I be peaceful. And then seeing yourself really peaceful. And may I be happy. Really feel that happiness. And then that can be very powerful. It can... Uh, oppose that uh, negativity. Actually, it's very interesting. They say that we really actually have a lot of negativity towards ourselves than others. It seems that uh, we don't have, but actually that's what they have said, that uh, always we are so much critical about ourselves. Yeah, so we can reverse that by sending loving kindness and then expand it, expanding it like this until it's boundless. That's what metta is. It's called boundless. Apamanya in Pali language. Apamanya means boundless. It has no boundary. You expand your heart, not only constricted to family and the people you know. Right, another question. Huh? You can do the metta meditation at a sitting session. What I do in my practice is uh, before I sit, uh, yeah, I just send meta for two minutes like that. Then I, I go into vipassana. Yes, in fact, uh, meta is one of the protective meditation. Uh, we, there are four of them, but meta is one of them. And then once you do that before you start meditating, and then you are peaceful. Then you can meditate. If you don't do meta before meditation, you start your meditation, and then you start like this: your face and all this, struggling your breath. And who's going to be stronger and all that because you have a lot of negativity towards your breath and other people. Then you're fighting with your, your breath. It's disappeared. Then you're really angry at it, actually. You very, become very uh, angry about your breath. But once you say loving kindness, actually, release, release. You feel even the release, actually. The jaws, they become relaxed. Yeah. So, in fact, people are so much uptight without meta. They meditate and the hand is like this, like iron bars, you know, because they're so much uptight. But once you say loving kindness, ah, the heart softens and then you feel so happy. And then you can meditate. I think every moment you stay with meta, it's worth it before your meditations. I call it warm up. You warm up before your practice. But of course, it's very powerful. We cannot reduce it to warm up. But uh, when I was practicing in Burma, really, you have to do this. The teacher was very serious about this. <laughs> you, in fact, Saido Pandita say you have to do all the four protective meditation before you start your Vipassana meditation. So it's very powerful before you start your meditation. I have a lot of announcements, actually. Uh, First is uh, somebody wrote me a note and didn't sign it. Uh, please try to sign it, then I can answer you individually. But if you didn't do that, then I just answer uh, in a group. So, so the walking meditation is hard. I love to walk around and explore my surroundings, discover new paths, explore the source of sound and movement. I feel so confined with back and forth walking, uh, walking meditation, limited to 30 minutes only. I feel the, the urge to take off and explore the wood. Wow. <laughs> Actually, um, the, uh, friends, meditation is an inner path. It's an inner path to explore inside. That's why we even we call insight meditation. There's what we call sightseeing, where you go and look at the trees. That's quite something different. <laughs> 
<laughs> actually this happened, I was in Washington, this son monks told me, oh, let's go and see the Monument Tower, White House, and all this. Let's, let us go sightseeing. I said, no, I'm, I'm going for meditation. Insight, it's called insight seeing. <laughs> actually, this is the most powerful practice that once you have developed this kind of practice and you know all the valleys and all these woods that you are talking about, woods and all this kind of thing. Once you see that inside, you don't need to go in the woods. But of course, you have to start somewhere. It's okay. Just do the walking meditation. And then after lunch, you can go for, for, for the woods. Uh, I think that's okay. It's within the system. That's why there are many paths. They are, so, they are marked even, actually. Uh, and better be aware of the also other things that want to work on you. They are called ticks. <laughs> they want also to explore you. <laughs> Just be mindful of that. But really, uh, we have to go past our likes and dislikes and then be willing to develop the path that really actually leads to liberation. Of course, you can walk outside, but really still... It's not, it can bring some sense of relaxation because you are out in nature and all that. But really, there's no valuable practice, especially when you're here, to really develop the inward, inward path. I mean, after this retreat, you have a plenty of time to walk in the parks, the city parks and all these many parks you can walk. And also here, you have an opportunity. I think lunchtime you can do that. But not dodging walking meditation because if you dodge it, then you're not going to be. When you come down to practice sitting meditation, it's not going to be powerful. But once you balance the energy, walking meditation, come back here, then your sittings are going to be good. Okay. So then about uh, the, the eight precepts, some people have expressed interest. And I would like to talk about the three extra precepts and then you go for walking meditation. Okay, so just pick this paper. Go to uh, precept number five. Uh, I undertake the training route to absent from, uh, no, number six. We start with six. I explain it. I undertake the training to refrain to t taking food at in, in proper time, solid food afternoon. Basically, the benefit of this is actually, uh, it's obvious. When you don't have a lot of food, you can meditate easily. If you're on a full stomach, you can't meditate. Very difficult. Yeah, so another thing, actually, also you'll be more healthy. <laughs> anyway, you won't buy into that, probably. <laughs> I've spent 10 years without eating dinner, so <laughs> I, I think I'm fine. I don't know what you think. <laughs> That's what I think, anyway, but... Uh, so there are so many benefits, but we can start with really your practice. It will support your practice if you don't have a lot of food, really, because what will happen after food, then the, all the blood is going for digestion. So now what is going on is a cuckoo like this. The body is moving because the digestion, when it's taking place, the body is also moving. And then you come sit here to, sti to, to try to be still. Good luck. <laughs> when the body is moving and you try to still your mind, it's very difficult. I'm not anti-eating, actually, when I'm talking about this. I'm not saying don't eat, but I'm just telling you the benefits of just eating little uh, or soup or something like that. That helps to support your practice. So then uh, there's, uh, I undertake the... Oh, I forgot also. They said that you'll be younger, actually. <laughs> this is what the Buddha <laughs> told the King Kosala. Uh, he was eating a lot, and uh, then he said, no, reduce your amount of food and all that. Then he became... Uh, less weight and young and he got married and all that so <laughs> so anyway this is outside the point but I'm talking <laughs> so we go to I undertake the training uh, to refrain from dancing singing music and on and on really actually the things it helps us to be focused because if you really want to meditate and then you go for reg dancing in the woods there, and then uh, it, you'll be agitated definitely. It's, uh, there's no, it's not immoral to dance or to keep on humming around and all this, but it's really actually to support your practice, really to be calm and tranquil and all this. So, and also perfume, and it just, uh, just takes away from your practice. 
apart from being expensive. But the perfume <laughs> of really your practice is the best perfume. Your practice of, of keeping five precepts and all that. So you have all these inner perfumes other than external perfumes. And also you have the inner music, which is called Dharma. So you don't need any external music or drama. So you have Dharma. <laughs> so you can bank on that at least. So then the eighth one. Uh, I undertake the training to refrain from use of high beds like Zaria seats and uh, beds. Again, this is your, your practice. If you sleep in a big bed like this, you're going to fall asleep. They ring a bell and you just turn like this. It's okay. I'll meditate tomorrow. <laughs> Before you know, we are in the middle of the retreat. <laughs> really, actually, one time I missed a seat here. I felt so bad in a three month retreat. Not that the bed was big, but actually because for some reason I slept in. in but it's really uh, about maximizing our time here so that we can have just minimum sleep to refresh our mind and body. So there's nothing, again, wrong or illegal to have a big bed and big chair, but it's just to support our practice. So who's buying into this? <laughs> you can put your name. Put your name there. We have a few chocolates, I think, at the end. You are not going to have a big meal. So, uh, uh, so you can uh, then stay here next day. You will stay here. Or even today, actually, when people go for walking meditation, we can stay here and uh, push in extra envelope and meditate together. I'll be there to support you because I know what it takes. So thank you very much. <clears throat> Yeah, so uh, do you have some f- questions? A little bit? One or two? Uh-huh. Yeah. Practicing metta, do you find novices resulting to tears? Uh, what's that? Novices? Novices. Yes, yes. <coughs> resulting to tears? Yes, actually. Um, some people actually... Eh? Okay, let me repeat. She said that uh, when you are practicing metta, do you find novices uh, resorting to tears, crying and say, uh, kind of feel kind of emotion, sad and all this? Not so many, actually. Most, uh, most people I meet, they feel joy. I rarely see people... Yes, people feel happy. I rarely see people feeling uh, this kind of uh, sad and start crying. The only practice I know that really leads to this is forgiveness practice. Yeah, my teacher, Sado Silananda, when uh, I ordained in 2002 in California, this is his practice. To st- you have to do forgiveness practice and then meta. I think this is a, a very powerful practice, which is called forgiveness. Whenever I teach this, people cry. <laughs> they find it difficult to forgive. But once you break through and then you forgive, actually you practice metta easily. But the way we teach it here, we start with metta, loving kindness. Uh, I think most people feel happy and floating, sometimes too much metta. <laughs> so I never see people crying. For sure, forgiveness practice, once we teach it, you see people crying, 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 because they want to release that emotion like this. Uh, one last question. We don't want to miss walking meditation. One last question. Eh? 4.30? Okay, so another question. No questions? Okay, if you no question, let us continue meditation. <laughs> we can continue with our meditation, and then after fourth, uh, we can just carry on. <laughs> just let us sit together again. Oh, one question. Yes. You don't know what you're asking. <laughs> Okay, she's planning to. <laughs> yes, it's really very powerful. In fact, that's a good start. And you release all that tension and emotion. And then you, you slide into meta. It's very beautiful. 
because you are not holding on to anything. You forgive yourself, you forgive others, and all this, and both, and then you really, you meditate very well. This is the best way to prepare our meditation. Okay, let us continue our meditation. At least we have cleared all of this thing. Yes, actually, I didn't repeat her question. Uh, that's why I didn't hear. Yes, we are going to do that. And Gina is prepared to do that. And I think there's going to be a lot of this <laughs> around. <laughs> yes, uh, it's a very powerful practice. And that's how we can liberate ourselves. Okay, last question. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, uh, she asked, uh, why are we uh, attached to negative emotions, uh, negative states of our mind? Yes, uh, the reason is, of course, again, evolutionally. Evolutionally, we get attached. I have something here that I need to send meta. <laughs> <laughs> Because I have I've sent some meta, these things coming to me. I don't know why it doesn't come to others. <laughs> Actually, when I walk there, the, the, the insects like me so much. The, those deer, deer insects, they are big horse insects. They are there. They are black. They really bite. Yeah. Anyway, uh, the, the question is, do you know the reason why we are, we are attached to negative emotions? Actually, uh, the thing that uh, attachment is a big emotion from evolution, uh, from evolution side, because that's how we had to uh, pass off uh, our genes. We had to chase for food, look for food. But also, th- anything that comes in a way, we push, uh, anything that uh, in the way, uh, of what we need, less uh, what we desire. It blocks it, and then we, are, we push it away. So because desires bipolar, one is to get and to push away. So if we understand the desire to get, that's the same desire that arises when it's fr- our desires are frustrated. So in other words, we are t- whenever our, frust- our desires are frustrated, then we get... Uh, attachment, to desire to push away what we don't want. So what really goes in life is trying to get and push away. You can do even this experiment when you see an insect walking and you put a stick like this. It doesn't have a lot of consciousness, but it will go the other side because it doesn't want to suffer. So we really want to be happy and nobody wants to suffer. So then we are attached to our negative emotions also. Yeah, because we are pushing it away. That's called desire to push it away. So we get attached. Yeah, so and then we suffer, of course, but still we don't want to let go. There's a story of a monkey uh, in China. They want to, when they want to get monkeys, they put peanuts in a coconut. They get away the whole fresh and they put peanuts there and then they put it there. The monk goes there and then put the, the fist like this and then get the peanuts like this and the holds like this. And then it starts to fight to get out the hand. Every time it fights the more it reinforces the trap. So it doesn't want to let go. But if the monk lets go like this of course it's going to be free. Yeah, so we don't want to let go. <laughs> we are holding on to it because uh, we think that that's going to bring us happiness, but it doesn't. Let's say we identify, this is called self-identification. In fact, that's why we keep on attaching to these things because we identify ourselves with emo- that emotion of anger. It's me. It's my anger. So we get, uh, we fixate that this is mine, I, me. You remember, I am worse. If you remember I am worse, <laughs> this is I, this is mine, this is myself. So now when we have a negative emotion, let's say fear or anger or whatever, then we say, this is mine. And then we get copyrights. This is mine. And then we, even when I say, let go, forgive, we say, no, no, I'm not go, going to forgive. Then you start justifying the situation. And that reinforces the situation. And then you keep on holding on to it. 
So the simple answer is the, re of the reason is because of greed, hatred, and delusion. That's why we don't want to let go. Every, all those things feeds into the other. Delusion, of course, just bewilders you, and you just even forget the idea of letting go, like the monkey holding on to title like this. Uh, this is even funny uh, that we hold on the very d difficult states that really keeps us suffer. We hold on to them. We can hold, let's say, if this uh, iron bar, a very hot one, we can drop it immediately. We have no problem doing that. But uh, when it comes to holding on to negative mind states, we keep on holding. When they are burning, yes, yes. It's like holding on a hot one, somewhat hot iron bar like this, and then say, drop it. No, 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 I'm holding on to it. Then you really get burns, really. So the same thing situation happens. So anyway, we are going to talk about these things, about hindrances and all that. You pick a few ideas why we keep on holding on to even burning mind states like anger and aversion. Thank you very much. I think uh, we'll continue meditation, our meditation on loving kindness until 4.30. And then those who want to stay for the eight precepts, you can stay. I'll be here. So I'll just ring the bell. Those people will walk out, and then I stay with people who want to take eight precepts. Okay, sit comfortably. Again, I'm, I'm not going to give guided meditation. So now you know how to do it. I invite you to be mindful because meta always you have to practice it with mindfulness. You have to be mindful of every phrase that you repeat.
May all beings be well, happy, and peaceful. It's, it's, it's time for walking meditation. And remember to walk with metta. <laughs> Those who would like to stay, you can stand. We'll do some standing up meditation out of metta <laughs> so that you don't have a lot of pain. <laughs> so, and then we'll continue with our meditation, standing meditation. So, those who want to go, they can go for walking meditation. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.